Sorry, Rabbi, you're on mute. Shalom, shalom. Welcome. Wonderful Thank to you. see everybody. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, we're very um, eager to have this conversation. This is um, a dark time in many ways for the Jewish people um, with global rising anti-Semitism, um, Israel under attack, and just um, a lot of threats and, and confusion. And um, we're eager to continue to learn together and to find joy in learning together and from each other and wrestling in the messy topics of our time. Um, to not be afraid and look away, but be willing to really engage. Um, and so we're thrilled today to continue to explore that none of these issues are monolithic um, or simplistic. And there's many different types of Jews. Um, there's Jews who live in Israel. There's Jews who live in the diaspora. There's Ashkenazi Jews and Sephardi Jews. There's liberal Jews and conservative Jews. There's white Jews, brown Jews, black Jews. And we each of our identity pieces and our backgrounds inform um, how we approach um, trauma and how we how we approach, um, you know, issues of security and dignity. And so with that, we have two great speakers who are here with us today. Um, we have David Kaufman, Kaufman, who is a New York Post columnist and news features editor focusing, focusing on politics, business and culture along with authoring the book, Pride, 50 Years of Parades and Protests. He has also worked as an editor at New York Times, the Global Digital Director at Ar Architectural Digest, and as a writer contributing to publications, including the Financial Times, Monocle, the Wall Street Journal, and Airmail. Kaufman received undergraduate degrees in Middle Eastern Studies and Sociology from Brandeis University and an MA in Journalism at New York University, recently been named an adjunct fellow at the Tel Aviv Institute. So David Kaufman, welcome. And um, who deserves no intro here at Uri Letzedek is our dear friend, Eddie Chavez Calderon, who is our campaign's director at Uri Letzedek, who was a DACA recipient for two decades and um, has been at the forefront of immigrant rights and the forefront of, of uh, Orthodox social justice education here at Uri Letzedek, leading many campaigns and now launching our shower project so that um, asylees and immigrants have the dignity of showers. And, um, you know, um, is just um, a, a wonderful thinker and leader here in our movement. So with that, I'm going to hand it over to to Eddie to facilitate this program here with David. Thank you so much. Wow. Thank you. Thank you so much, Rabbi Shmuley. Uh, really appreciate that. And really, thank you so much, David, for being a part of this today. Um, we we read your article. We knew that we had to reach out to you um, because yeah. we were feeling what you were feeling. So much in what you wrote was 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 truly putting everything that I've been feeling since October seventh into writing, and to see that somebody could be so vulnerable and yet so courageous. You had uh, just extremely inspired me to also speak up and share about similar things that you were experiencing. So David, thank you so much for being here. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you. So I wanted us to really have a conversation in depth here um, because the, the conversation and the narrative kind of seems to be taking over by different narratives and different conversations that are really being vocal and are truly overpowering voices like mine and yours who are saying, wait a minute, as people of color here, 
we have a unique complexity that is not being talked about. What is that unique complexity that you're coming into here with your identities and how you have seen the rise of anti-Semitism? Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, the idea, the notion of Jews of color is a particularly uh, uh, vulnerable uh, topic uh, in this mo in this moment of uh, extreme uh, rising anti-Semitism and um, the demonization of Jews, the demonization of Israel, the demonization of, of Zionism. Um, you know, Jews and and uh, people of communities of color have uh, both a joyful and tenuous history, um, both here in the U.S. and in Israel. Um, there's a lot to celebrate, but there's also a lot to be critical of. And I think that it's very easy for the folks who, you know, for lack of a better term, want to kill us and want to remove us from Israel and want to eradicate Israel, because this is really what we're talking about here. We're not we're not talking about, you know, people walking down Fifth Avenue with signs or people protesting in Times Square or Trafalgar Square with signs. We're talking about people who have made it very clear that they support Hamas. They support what they've done. They support the the wholesale 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 the um, destruction and murder and slaughter and rape and beheading of Jewish people, and they're very very much invested and excited about uh, people doing that again. This is what they want. They want us dead, and uh, they have you know a vast menu of of uh, dishes and treats in which to you know promote their ideology, their, their horrific ideology. And when it comes to Jews of color, you know, it makes for a very easy target, you know, very easy target. Uh, there's again, because of the fact that there has been a complicated history, uh, you can you can point and say that Jews have done X to, to black people or Jews have done Y to black people or in Israel, Jews have the, the government's had a complicated and not necessarily uh, wonderful history when it comes to uh, Mizrahi Jews or Ethiopian Jews. You know, we can go and point out all these things and they're true, you know, not to mention the, the government of Israel has a complicated history with their own Arab minority, just like we have in the U.S. And these things are all true. But at the end of the day, you know, it doesn't in any way excuse what happened or justify or try to explain what happened on October 7th in Israel. At the end of the day, you know, Israel is a sovereign nation with a right to exist. It's the homeland of the Jewish people. It's, you know, it's the only country that we have and really ever had in the modern era. There, you know, there isn't an alternative. There is no plan B, you know, for Israel. It's like when you talk about from, you know, uh, the river to the sea, you know, where are the Jews supposed to go then? Like literally, like are we supposed to go on a boat and flood out into, into, into an island that doesn't exist? So, so again, like I think Jews and Jews of color and our unique history make for a very, very easy, convenient, lazy, a lazy, 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 lazy target that, you know, the folks who want us dead keep on trying to hop upon again and again and again and again. But no matter what's happened in in, in our in this complicated history, no matter what's what will happen, what's happening today, you know, it doesn't in any way justify or excuse or try to explain anything. Mm -hmm. You know, in fact, my only response would be, so what? You know, in the United States, we have 400 or North America, we have, you know, 500 years of, of colonial and post-colonial exploitation, murder, pillaging of people of color. But nobody would suggest that Canada mm -hmm. or Canadians or Mexicans cross over the border and start shooting and murdering and raping and beheading and kidnapping Americans because of it. You know, so Israel's Israel and Jews inhabit this special place where where everything we do, we do wrong. Everything we do 
is can be used as an excuse to demonize and to basically champion for our our deaths. And um, you know, again, like the uh, Jews of color make for a very easy target in this in this narrative. And um, yeah, I mean, that's how that's really how I how I feel that you know we are used as a very very easy scapegoat for uh, for uh, histories of of anti-Semitism, the current rise of anti-Semitism. And, you know, for me, I guess my point of view is simply that, you know, I'm not I'm not going to sign up for it. You know, I'm not here for it. You know, it'd be very easy for folks, for people to say, well, you should be joining on this sort of like, you know, Jews for Palestine brigade because you know what it's like to be an, an, an oppressed person. But mm-hmm. I would actually flip that narrative around and say that as an oppressed person, you know, who's somebody who's lived with with racism his whole life and and lived with discrimination. I have no fantasies about what people who hate people like me want to do to me. I don't live in some world where I, because I know that what it means to be a black person and I know what it means to also be a gay person, to live in a world where violence against people like me is very real and has been state sanctioned without consequence for centuries. I know very well that Folks who hate Jews, if given the opportunity, as they were on October 7th, will kill us and will want, can do and will want us dead. Thank you so much. And I think that's a very, very clear point where I think we're fundamentally missing the mission here, where folks are are siding with terrorism in what I think their equation of standing up for civil rights. They're failing to oversee that that means the eradication of an entire group of people. And for folks who are very clearly screaming a word that they have no idea about using terminology like genocide and stuff, it seems very crazy to be able to start using terms of annihilation of a group of people in a state. Uh, It's always been something that has bothered me. And what continues to bother me as well, and maybe you can uh, touch upon this, David, uh, identifying as a queer Black man, we've seen that there's been a rise of queer organizations that have just been attacking and attacking um, what they're claiming to be attacking anti-Zionist and not attacking Jews. We're not going to attack the Jews. We're going to attack only anti-Zionist because Israel is pinkwashing. How does that make you feel as a, a queer Black man that has clearly advocated and clearly been educated in, in a lot of, of the advocacy that the queer community has done? Yeah, I mean, again, I think it just speaks to sort of a lack of imagination and a lack of intellect. And and again, it goes back to this word of, of laziness. You know, these folks who Jews for, you know, queers for Palestine and all the organizations that have sort of had sort of, um, you know, um, I call it movement mooching. When movements sort of glom onto each other, they mooch from each other. It's called movement mooching. That, that all these movements that are sort of mooching from each other, movement mooching, as I like to call it. It just shows a, a real lack of original thinking and laziness on their part. Um, at the end of the day, there is no organic reason. I'll rephrase that. Um, yes, people who have endured discrimination and know what it's like to be oppressed and to be uh, to, to experience bigotry, you know, obviously can and in many ways should align with other folks who are experiencing that right now. But at the same time, that in no way justifies the total lack of intellect and critical thinking that we're seeing today, you know, doesn't take as I as I wrote today on my as I as I um actually will write later on today on my Instagram page. 
I'm really tired of seeing you know, messages and protests by queers uh, for Palestine. I would actually like to see some queers in Palestine advocating for themselves. I would like to see some out vocal, you know, self-identified queers in Gaza calling for the liberation. I say that because I can say, you know, unequivocally, unequivocally and without hesitation that we won't see them because they don't exist. There are no out queers in Gaza. I would venture to say there are also no out queers in the West Bank. I could be wrong there, but it's very unlikely. They don't exist because if they did exist, that's not to say that queers don't exist. Of course they exist. They They exist everywhere. Gay communities exist everywhere. We know that. There are gay men in Gaza living closeted, highly imperiled, highly risky gay lives. And if they were to reveal themselves, they would be killed, period or at the very least suffer extreme violence against them. There's no room in that culture for for vocal queerness. So I I find it extremely curious that people who are totally invested in like, you know, uh, um, out and proud lived experience are essentially championing, championing an organization that not only seeks to silence them, but unequivocally seeks to kill them. So why is this? Why are these people aligning themselves with groups who want to kill them? Well, I think at the end of the day, it's because fundamentally these organizations have nothing to stand upon. There's nothing there. You know, we exist in a world today, you know, 20 or 30 years into the cycle of identity politics and intersectionality that's basically bamboozled those of us, has tricked, has, 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 um, um, blackmailed with the threat of cancellation, those of us with any real sort of logic, those of us who had actually spent some time trying to figure out and learn about topics, those of us who value reason, intellect, uh, true, true, honest discourse, has tricked us and bamboozled us and blackmailed us into being silent, into being woke culture thrives when we betray our own best instincts. And that's exactly what's happened here when every element of, of a sort of you know intellectualism in the Western world over the last 20 years, particularly in the last 10 years, and within this context, within this spectrum, have risen and have we have given free reign. I mean, it's our fault. We allowed these people to take over our schools, take over our universities, take over our media organizations. You know, the New York Times has allowed these, these young, woke radicals to basically define their media and editorial platforms because they're afraid of them. They're afraid of, of, of the Twitter recourse. So we've allowed this to happen. And as a result, we've, we've basically given credence. We've said that, okay, you can have, you can believe that there's you know, an inherent organic true alignment between the objectives of queer people and the objectives of Hamas, and we can sit around and sort of debate that and give it space. But at the end of the day, it's wrong. They are wrong. It is not true. These people are not their friends. These people do not support them. It's the same reason why at the end of the day, you see no queers for Palestine from protesting through the streets of Gaza or protesting through the streets of Ramallah. They don't exist. The only place in the Middle East, perhaps maybe besides Turkey on a certain level, but within the Arab world, the only place in the Arab Islamic world where any any Arabs have any rights, have any civil protections, is in Israel. And I'm not saying that because Israel is so great to their Arab population. 
Israel has a lot of a lot of a lot of issues in, in, with the ways in which their own Arab citizens are treated. We all know that. I've spent a lot of time in Israel. I have no I have no facade. I have no, you know, uh, 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 pink colored glasses about what it means to be an Arab citizen of of Israel. They they do exist on a certain level. With a, with a institutionalized discrimination. They do exist on a certain level as second-class citizens. That's very true. Just as I have existed my whole life in this country as a second-class citizen. I, I'm not debating that. But the, but I'm also returning to fact. You know, I want to root, I try to root everything I do in fact, in data, in proof. And the fact and the data and the proof confirm that the only place in the Middle East where these folks have any civil rights, have any protections, is in Israel. It's it's not surprising that there are so many young, not so many, but many. There are many examples of young gay uh, uh, Arabs from the West Bank, from Palestinian areas, Palestinian-controlled areas, who fled to Israel for safety and security because they know that they have, you know, somewhat they somewhat have legalized state-sanctioned support. And and this is not a small thing. I mean. At the end of the day, you know, I, I've been seeing all of these people on Instagram saying, you know, how can we how can we criticize what's happening with queers and in, in Gaza and queers in Palestine when our own queer people are being killed here in the U.S. and queer people are are experiencing discrimination in the U.S. and transgender people are being killed in the U.S. Yes, there's no doubt that queer people and transgender people experience. Uh, discrimination and in some cases very real violence in the U.S. But there's a vast difference between what that looks like in the United States and what that looks like in, in the context of, say, Gaza and the West Bank. In the United States, if, God forbid, I was attacked for being a gay man or my children were attacked for having a gay father, you know, <clears throat> uh, we have a, a very robust police force that would hunt these people down arrest them, prosecute them, and slap them with with hate crime charges. And those hate crime charges would result in a much larger sentence, a much more serious sentence behind bars than if it were just a plain old assault or some sort of attack. This is what happens in the US, it, particularly in New York. I mean, it's very easy to criticize the cops in New York and the police department in New York. And I have no fantasies about the police in New York City. But one thing I will say is that when it comes to hate crimes, New York City Police Department is extremely aggressive and robust in, 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 in identifying hate crimes and trying them and making sure that those who are prosecuted and convicted of hate crimes receive extra jail sentences. That's what happens in the US to gay people or queer people if they experience violence or some sort of attack. The difference is that in Gaza, it's the, the people who are perpetuating who are carrying out state sanction, who are carrying out violence or killings or attacks on queer people is Hamas, it's the state. The people who are supposed to be protecting you are actually killing you. So there's no, it's not that something would happen and there'd be an investigation and they'd be prosecuted. No, the culture and the folks who dominate the culture and every element of the culture, which is Hamas, they, do, they dominate every single element of Palestinian society. They would be the ones who are killing you and everybody would basically be happy. This is the way things are. Now we can we can sort of try to add context and nuance, and we can sort of say, what about what about the occupation, and what about this, this, and that. But at the end of the day, it has really nothing to do with that. This is how things are, and this is how things are in most of the Islamic world. It's not to criticize Islam. Islam is a beautiful religion, but this is the truth in most Islamic countries. 
people who are found to engage in homosexual activity are either heavily penalized and criminalized or receive the death penalty and die. That's the truth. So there, when, it, so when we're talking about like, you know, how is it that these folks, you know, queers for Palestine and groups like that are supporting, are supporting Hamas, supporting, you know, uh, themselves questioning whether or not horrible acts of sexual violence occurred. Like, how does this happen? Well, it, it shows a complete failure failure of the entire progressive system over the last 20 years in this country. The fact that we have conceded any intellect and any reason to a rogue mob of folks who are just screaming the loudest and threatening retribution. This all thrives because people now exist in a world where they're scared to say what they really think. You know, woke culture exists by silencing Everybody who doesn't agree with it, and by 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 introducing the specter of collective punishment. If you don't agree with us, if you raise a question, you will be canceled. Um, again, this culture doesn't allow for any dissent. The moment you begin to say, "I don't a hundred percent agree with that," then the idea is that you're against us. So there's no middle ground. So nobody in this world of queers for Palestine, there's no space to say, "Well." Are we sure? Are we really sure about that? Or is this really the best group we're aligning with? Like we're aligning ourselves with Hamas supporters who rape people and behead children and kidnap people and hold them hostage. Yes, we kind of understand the idea of liberation. We kind of support liberation ideology because we know our own liberation ideology. But at the end of the day, these folks who are who are who are, who are doing the liber deliberating are mass murderers. Do we really want to be associated with that? But there's no room to question that. You have to you have to basically go for like a ten course meal. And get dessert as well, you know, as as opposed to just getting like a little appetizer. Mm. Definitely, thank you so much. And something that I I really felt from what you just answered is your emphasis on truth and facts. As a journalist, how do you feel seeing other major agencies? And I think you mentioned the New York Times really pushing a lot of things that are so questionable. I mean, for goodness sakes, the the, the rise of anti-Semitism that was caused from the failure to acknowledge the truth behind a hospital bombing was just incredible. How do you feel as a journalist seeing that continue to happen? Well, I mean, it's not just that there was a, a reactionary rise in anti-Semitism following the hospital bombing. I mean, the president of the United States literally canceled, had his meeting with the King of Jordan canceled. So that 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 error, which the New York Times still does not necessarily fully admit to, you know, impacted global diplomacy at one of the most fragile geopolitical moments of the modern era. You know, literally Biden had to like change his itinerary, you know, with the King of Jordan because of that false false hospital um, report. So. How do I feel about it? I, I feel very, I feel saddened. You know, I feel saddened. I feel it scares me. It concerns me. It 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 um frustrates me and makes me angry. But it's not, I mean, the New York Times is an easy target. And and at the end of the day, you know, folks who are pro-Arab and pro-Palestinian, you know, they occupied the New York Times last week, claiming that the New York Times is pro-Israel. So so they could just as much have their own beefs with the situation as we would, as we have in us saying that the New York Times is incredibly complicit in, in supporting, you know, the pro-Hamas. And um, 
but it's also all of these sort of publications who are being quiet, who are, who are who have said nothing. I mean, I look at my former my former employer, Condé Nast, which you know is the publisher of Vogue and Vanity Fair and GQ and the place I used to work, Architectural Digest. And as I've written before, in in I wrote in the Telegraph a couple of weeks ago. When I think about you know during Black Lives Matter and during issues around trans issues and stop Asian hate. And, and the eruption of, of support for these movements. I mean, you know, Vogue put Breonna Taylor on the cover of their magazine, you know, a couple of years ago uh, as basically penance for, you know, the editor-in-chief had, had basically silencing and, 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 and just not allowing, you know, alternative voices, voices of color. So, you know, it's like they went to the, it's like they went to, you know, the DEI store and bought everything at one time and sort of just threw it all, all on the stove to see what happened. So, you know, I, I've written that when I was working at these companies, you know, we spent, you know, endless hours focused on, on diversity and, 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 and equity and inclusion. And we spent endless hours, you know, creating packages for Black History Month and LGBT History Month and Asian History Month. And we were all sort of like corralled and forced to basically, you know, focus our attention on making sure all of these voices were elevated and affirmed. Um, and then now, you know, we have an actual not that and not that these these communities didn't have very valid issues. Obviously, you know, Black Lives Matter and 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 the 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 you know real crisis in police brutality around black men as a black man i said that myself needed to be acknowledged and 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 the ongoing injustice that black people face in this country and the threat that we the disproportionate threat that we face from the police system and 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 from the penal system i mean i don't walk around in any way in this world thinking that you know the police won't choose to shoot me over a white guy i, I get that and I, I would never question that i know that i know that my you know i know that as a core truth so and that's very real and very valid. And we did we did the necessary work for those movements at the time. The question is, where is the work now when you know 1,200 Jews were slaughtered, when when you know countless number of Jewish women were raped, when 240 mostly Jews, many Americans, children. I mean, as a father of two small children, the idea that these people are holding toddlers, you know, a 10-month-old child, 11-month-old child now in captivity, and the, what these, the anguish, the unimaginable anguish, the, the um, I mean, I have a hard time just getting up and starting my day because my kids are making me crazy, but the unimaginable anguish of waking up and not knowing where your child is, not knowing the only salvation is knowing that they won't kill your child because he's useful in their geopolitical pawn. That's the only salvation you have. That's your reality every single day for these parents. Where are these magazines who devoted, you know, dozens and dozens and hundreds of articles and thousands of words to Breonna Taylor and to Freddie Gray and 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 to Eric Garner and all of these very worthy causes? Where are they now? Where is Anna Winter putting? You know, Vogue put a cover focused on Palestine on Vogue Arabia uh, uh, this month, you know, devoted to the to, 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 to the martyrs of Palestine and to everything that's happening in Palestine. But there are no articles about what's happening to people in Israel. You know, like these people have blood on their hands by their silence, by their weakness, by their complicity, by their lack of bravery and, and honor. You know, that's how I feel. I, I The New York Times is one thing, but 
where are the rest of these major media companies, you know, standing up for, for people like me or for people who've experienced, you know, vast, vast human trauma? They're silent. You know, they're scared because they're 24-year-old social media managers, as I experienced during my own time at these companies. These are the folks who run these companies, 24-year-old social media managers who control Twitter and Instagram. That's what they're scared of. And they're scared that they're going to rebel and say something. Well, you know what? This is not the time to be scared. Do you know who's scared? The 80-year-old 80 80-year-old 80 Holocaust survivor stuck in a tunnel in Gaza. She's scared. Do you know who's scared? The parents of toddlers trapped and held captive by murderous men, they're scared. This is not the time for being for fear. This is a time for leadership. And what's really frustrating to me is the total lack of leadership by these companies who stand silent, even though they were there for every single other social justice movement of the past five years, of the past half decade, the past decade. And at the end of the day, the most important social justice or justice movement right now is the eradication of the rise of anti-Semitism, which has now taken over the entire Western culture. We saw it in France yesterday, 100,000 people came out into the streets. You know, we know it's possible, it's there, but there's this complicitness, there's this silence by, by impotent, weak leaders and, 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 and culture makers who are supposed to be standing up and have chosen to sit by the sidelines. And that's what disappoints me most. You know, we know what to expect from the New York Times. And luckily we have other publications to counter that. And again, at, in the New York Times defense, you know, they have, they, they're not, they have done a decent amount of articles about the, what's happening in Israel right now. The New York Times has the resources and the expertise that when they do them, they do them very well. And those articles are there. So I'm not, it's, it, New York Times is a problem, but I think they're a bit of an easy target just because they're so important. Mm -hmm. We also have the Wall Street Journal. We have other publications to sort of counter that. My question is, is more about the folks who have chosen to remain silent, who are standing there filled with Jews, run by Jews, owned by Jews, who are sitting there and quiet. You know, they have blood on their hands right now. Definitely. And as you said, you had partnership with a lot of these places um, as an organization. We've had partnership with so many other progressive organizations. How do we walk into a space now after seeing a lot of community inside? We, <laughs> we don't walk into a space. We, we make our own spaces. We don't. You know, we say, you know, the, 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 the money bag is closed. The support is closed. You folks have, have, have failed. You've failed us. Not only have you failed, but your silence has been complicit in mob violence. Your silence has been complicit in the death of, of, of a 70-year-old man in Los Angeles, Paul Kessler, who was killed for protesting peacefully for Israel. We don't walk into there. You know, we say we're done with you. Or if you want us to walk in, you walk to us. You show how you're going to how you're going to restore and fix this, 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 this you know travesty this this huge grievance you know it's not it's not up to us to fix this problem it's up to them to fix this problem they made this problem you know and their silence their complicitness or and their ongoing um refusal refusal to acknowledge the rising anti-semitism refusal to acknowledge the vast vast atrocities committed by hamas the refusal to say that this has happened not because of Israel, but because they're, these people are Jews. I mean, in, in, if you look at the language that, you know, Hamas and, and sort of, you know, 
Arabic Arab ideology and Islamic ideology, they're not speaking necessarily about Zionism. They're speaking about Jews. They use the word Yahud. They're talking about Jews. They want Jews dead. So I'm a Jew. They want me dead. I'm not living in some fantasy world where I'm wondering how they really feel about me. You know, it's the same thing. Like, these groups who, who say, well, you know, they want trans people dead or they want to erase our existence, you know, they're speaking with a level of moral certainty and they're speaking of a, with a level of, of conviction. We know what the people against us want to do to us because we're trans or because we're queer or because we're genderqueer or because we're non-binary or whatever jargon they want to use. Well, I'm using the same language. I know what these people want to do to me. They mm -hmm. want to kill me because... They walked across the border. They not walked. They bulldozed the border from Gaza to Israel. They took out their guns and their and their, you know, uh, shoulder-launched missiles and 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 et cetera, et cetera. And they did it. There's an article that I wrote a couple of weeks ago at the beginning of this where I spoke about an experience I had a couple of years ago, right before the pandemic. I went to a, a dinner in Queens where I um, was with a lot of other you know, queer gay people, I was one of the only few people of color, and, and the host who was Jewish and very progressive and very kind of, you know, lefty, um, was talking about Israel, was talking about Gaza. He spent time in Israel talking about the, 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 the border between Gaza and Israel, really bemoaning and bashing Israel, bashing, you know, uh, the blockade and blah, 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 the usual stuff. And and I, I was very measured and very, very concerned about what I was going to say, I also was raised well, so I was raised to not, you know, offend people in their own homes when I'm a guest. So I simply said, all I said to this guy was, I hear what you're saying. The blockade is problematic. These people are living very, very difficult lives. But let's not have any have any fantasies here. You know, the threat to Israel by the folks in Gaza, by Hamas, is real. If that border were to be breached, you know, People streaming across it would not run up to the nearest kibbutz and say, hey, bro, let's compare hummus recipes. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, that's the reality. And as I was proven on October 7th, I was right. You know, and I don't I don't feel good saying I was right. I feel horrible saying I was right. I wish I wasn't right. So all these threats, all this 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 um this fear by Israelis about what would happen if Hamas ever got the chance to you know, engage with them. Well, those fears were, were very, were very real. In fact, I think, I think that at the end of the day, what happened on October 7th so vastly exceeded our worst nightmares. I mean, it was so much worse than we ever could have imagined. I've spent a lot of time in Israel and like, I've been through two wars in Israel. It was nothing like this, you know, yeah, God forbid, like one person was kidnapped, maybe four people were kidnapped, you know, somebody was shot. Horrible, horrible tragedies for those for those people and their families. But but the you know, we always had this fear about what the Arabs would do if they could come, if they could come do it to us. And it was much, much, it was vastly worse than our than our worst nightmare. Oh, I her, horrific even thinking about what would happen. Um and and unfortunately, just like you said, you were crudely pro uh, proven right and and that hurts that really hurts what do you see is the is an issue that is the most alarming right now in communities that have been in places of justice both in queer spaces both in black advocacy spaces because as a migrant and as a person that's been in 
for years fighting for uh, migrant rights and in the undocumented community, I see that there has just been an alarming amount of justification. And that is one thing that really, really alarms me that any means necessary mm -hmm. includes atrocious acts of violence and sexual mm -hmm. violence. Mm -hmm. What is something that you're seeing that truly alarms you? I mean, what I what really alarms me is two things. One, that there is within these sort of groups, there is zero space. There's zero space for any sort of reason. Like there's absolutely there's almost at a point where there's absolutely no no point in trying to reason with these people. There's no point in trying to educate these people. There's no point in trying to inform these people that that um Jewish lives matter, that uh what Hamas did was a horrific atrocity, uh, that um you know, children are being are being held captive and kidnapped. There's no point. There's zero space within these groups' ideology for any sort of reason or, or critique or concession. They have basically made it clear that even though they've spent the last five, 10 years demanding that all of us evolve and shift our mindsets and do the work that's necessary in order to be conscious of the, the lived experiences of all these other, you know, oppressed groups in America and in the world, that these folks have zero space when it comes to Jews. They have zero space when it comes to Israel. That anything you say to them, they will use against you. Anything you say to them, they will turn it around and they will say, well, this proves my point. There's no room or reason. And what's difficult is that, you know, I like to say that like when it comes to talking about Israel and Palestine and, 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 and Arab issues that this whole topic, you know, it's a, it's a conversation before October 7th that I didn't really have very often with people because as was proven at this dinner party I went to a couple of years ago in Queens, this is not a topic for amateurs. People need to know what they're talking about or, and they don't have to necessarily agree with me. They don't need to, to know what, to agree with what I'm talking about, but they need to know what they're talking about. Mm -hmm. And folks don't know what they're talking about. Again, what else makes me so alarmed? What makes me so alarmed is that, that you know, the folks who are basically there against us, who are who are spewing endless hours of anti-Jewish and anti-Zionist propaganda, have no idea what they're talking about. They are self-appointed spokespeople for an ideology which they number one they have no most of them have no logical affinity for. No, there's like why is some black queer lesbian educating the world about Hamas? You know, you know what I mean, like. Who is she to be to be when did she get a PhD in geopolitical history and and and, and modern Middle Eastern politics? You know I mean, like, why are these people, why have they decided, why have we allowed them to become experts in a topic and educate the world that they know nothing about? And the earnestness, earnestness, the the um the 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 the, the, the sense of of self-entitlement and, and self-conviction in which they spew their garbage. You know, with with zero level and zero room for critique, this is what really concerns me. We have this generation of people, of young people, who who basically assume because they feel a certain way about a topic, a topic with vast, vast geopolitical implications, vast transhistorical implications that go way beyond me or them, but you know, speak to thousands of years of history and millions of people. Topics that today have impact on people's lives 
you know, that these folks are speaking in a way, it's the first generation ever we've seen where there is no room for reason. There's no room to for, in, for intellect or for compromise. Anything you say, they will use against you. So where do you go from that? How do you how do you have dialogue with people who won't who won't have dialogue? You know, so this is what really concerns me. And you know, you also have the rise of social media. You have the lingering impact of of COVID. The fact that so many of these young people were stuck at home for two or three years. You know, in very important formative years. You know, they missed graduation. They missed prom. They missed all this socialization. They missed all these. You know. Um, 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 they missed all of these um, important milestones in their lives that encourage socialization and 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 and, and, and intellect and, and and critical thinking because they were stuck at home because of COVID. You know, watching TikTok. So now you have these people who are who are basically in college who have no skills. They 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 never learned these skills on how to be critical thinkers and to have real dialogue. And they're the ones out there who've decided that they know everything they need to know about a topic that I certainly don't know everything I need to know about. And I'm an old man, you know, and I've, and I've been dealing with this stuff for decades. So this is what really concerns me is like, now what do we do? You know, what do we do with this 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 generation and this, this, this like, you know, um, cadre of self-appointed leaders in a, a top, in, 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 in a conflict that they know nothing about. And, and of course, also, you know, Hamas must be in their tunnels thrilled. You know what I mean? It's like, wow, we saved ourselves billions of dollars in marketing and marketing costs. We have these like, you know, these idiotic, they're laughing at us. I mean, these people must be sitting in tunnels, you know, eating falafel and like saying like, we don't have to promote our agenda. These idiots in America will do it for us. You know, so so what does that say about our country, about our, our society, our culture? You know, that the youngest and often the best educated amongst us are acting in the most ill-educated, immoral, weak, and mm-hmm. and and dispiriting and, dis- and, and, and dehumanized ways possible. The language that these people use, you know, the language they use again and again and again to describe people, especially Jews, is just, it, it makes you question, like, you know, makes you question the last hundred years of, of 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 modern society. It's like, why did we bother? Why did we bother with the civil rights movements? Why do we bother with with you know the gay rights movement? Why do we bother with ACT UP and AIDS? Why do we you know why do we bother for gay marriage? When at the end of the day, we have these 22-year-old idiots who know nothing calling for the death of Jews. So why do we bother? What was the point? And that's a very for me that's as someone who you know, as a poster child for intersectionality, as a poster child for what all of these progressive movements were supposed to give us. You know, I'm the result mm. of a hundred years of Western progress. The fact that I exist in this world is supposed to be the proof of a hundred years of Western progress. And right now I'm watching 22 year olds destroy it. You know, that's a pretty harsh feeling for somebody like me. Oh. I, I share so much of that, and that that just gave me chills. The, the, your existence is is proof of that work, and I feel like my existence is also proof of that work. So that that made my hair stand up. Thank you so much uh, for for naming that and putting words into um, placing context into something that I felt so for such a long time. I don't feel good about it. Believe me, it keeps me up at night. And I don't say that as a cliche. It really, yeah. ask people who get my emails at four o'clock in the three o'clock in the morning. You know, ask my, 
That's my kids when I'm falling asleep half the day. You know, I'm I'm sitting up awake at night feeling very, very sad about the mm-hmm. world. Feeling like I, I look at I look at someone like my mom who like raised two brown kids by herself and her family didn't speak to her for years and years and years. And she paid a massive price for for the bravery and for um the social justice that she wanted for herself and for her children. I mean, she really paid a price for that. You know, and we paid a price for that as her children as well. And but but in a way you always felt like, okay, it was worth it. But what my mom went through as as a white Jewish woman having two children with a black man, having her family turn against her, as awful as that was, you went. Th- I went through the world saying, all right, well, it was worth it. I am alive. I am thriving. I, you know, I'm, I got married. I got divorced. You know, I got to have kids. Like you feel like, okay, it was worth it. But now you ask yourself, really? Was it really worth it? Like we're back where we started a hundred years ago. We're back in basically 1930s Germany. You know, we have all that progress. It was a fraud. It was a sham. You know, at the end of the day, we we basically conceded our culture to the lowest common denominator. So you again, you you ask yourself, that's a, you know, I don't feel good about saying that. I don't want to believe that. I have two small children. I want to believe that this world is going to be a better place than I have. But right now, I I don't necessarily feel that way, and it's it's not a good feeling. Thank you so much. And and I know you touched about this, but right before we go into some of our questions, which we are already getting messages from, so I have a list of, of questions um, to read to you, David. What message do you give to Jewish communities that look like us, that don't look like us, that are listening and are in so much fear right now, who feel so isolated uh, like a lot of us do right now? I mean, you know, I, I go back to, again, using sort of the language of the folks who are now against us and saying that your feelings are valid. You should be afraid. It's a scary time. I'm afraid. You know, I wrote in a piece that, you know, I'm a, I'm a gay black Jewish man. and I've never felt fear like I feel today in the world as a, as a Jewish person. So, you know, your feelings are valid. The fact that you feel scared about the world right now, I how could you not? And it's okay to feel that way. But I also think, you know, I saw a man at the train station a couple of weeks ago. Um, it was in Harlem. So there weren't a, a lot of Jews there. And he was wearing a kippah. And I went up to him and I was just like, you know, Shalom, you're not alone. And I, I think at the end of the day, like, we're not alone. You know, Jews are not alone. We are, we are, you know, we're, we're not 100% united but there's enough of us that are, and that, um, you know, we are here to look out for each other. Um, we are here to support each other. And hopefully, hopefully, what I really hope is that we find, and we have seen, we've seen allies like Richie Torres, the congressman, like we're also, we're also here for the folks who want to support us just as we supported them. You know, we, we cannot wait to welcome our real allies at this time. We've never needed them more. You are very welcome. This table is huge and expansive and has a seat for you. Show up. That's what I say. Wow. Thank you so much for that, David. I'm going to open up to a couple of the questions we've been receiving, both on our social media and privately here on on the live Zoom, to be able to share some of what a lot of folks are feeling right now. Uh, this question is says, thank you so much, David. I feel so seen and heard. How do you do you actually feel safe right now as a black Jewish man in queer progressive spaces? 
I would never go to a queer progressive space right now, but I've never been the type to go to queer progressive spaces in general because, you know, I have always been extremely suspicious of their, as evidenced by that dinner party. Like, I know what they really think. I, I know how they really feel. But, but what also is frustrating is what I spoke, what I said to earlier is that is that within many, not all, within many of these spaces, the loudest, what, what happens is that in these spaces, the loudest voices prevail. And the problem with these loud voices is that they have, or they are, they are um, uh, communicating a lack of any willingness for compromise, of any willingness to expand their worldview. So no, I would not go into a space that has no willingness to hear anything I have to say. Why bother? You know, I'd rather like stay home and, you know, draw Pokemons with my seven-year-olds who actually like me. Definitely. Another question here reading, thank you so much, David. How do you combat the equation that all Jews are a white colonialist power? I would just say that it's, it's not true. I mean, it's not a fact. Jews are not, Jews are not all white as evidenced by myself, um, but there are many Jews who are not white. Um, I would also say that uh, Jews are not colonists because we don't have a colony. So in order to be a colonist, you'd have a colony. Um, you know, I've been almost almost every country in Latin America and throughout much of Asia, and I've been to and much of Africa, and I, I know what a colony and a post-colonial society looks like. Israel is not one. But I would also say a very simple fact, like you're not going to convince these people who throw around useless jargon like that. They're not going to be convinced otherwise. What I would simply say is, you know, you're wrong. But even if you are so committed with your belief that you, you refuse to listen to me, it still doesn't justify and it doesn't erase the horrors of what Hamas did on October 7th and the ongoing war that Hamas is waging against Israel right now. One thing we keep on forgetting is that it's not just that Israel's at war with Hamas in Gaza. Hamas in Gaza is at war with Israel, sending over hundreds of rockets every single day and killing Israelis. So no matter what you say about colonial or post-colonial or white or whatever, it, it doesn't in any way justify or make okay what happened on October 7th and is still happening every single day. Thank you so much. I have one more question that I'm going to go ahead and answer that I think we have time for. Why do you think the narrative is always that Israel is breaking horrific world crimes and somehow we miss that Hamas breaks them all the time? And that seems to be the narrative that is the loudest. Yeah, well, I, I, one thing I will say is I don't necessarily know if I agree with that. I do think that at the end of the day, there is a vast middle out there who actually aren't really thinking about this. I mean, you know, we live in this sort of media, New York y Jewish echo chamber. And within this echo chamber, because we're highly sensitive to criticism, justifiably, of course, and we're highly sensitive to, to, the, to the way in which this has become very, very uh, politicized and partial and zero sum, that we're very much focused on, you know, what is the loudest narrative being screamed and, and, and what's being drowned out. And, and, and again, and at least from my perspective, the loudest narrative is what you just said, that Israel's accused of all these vast crimes, you know, uh, uh, Israel's a colonial, colonial society, Jews are all white, blah, 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 blah. But I actually think that 
in most of America, you know, folks are just really thinking about like dealing with, you know, rising mortgage rates and worried about getting food on the table and concerned about layoffs and wondering if AI is going to take over their jobs. I actually think that most folks aren't really thinking about this, that we're just in this echo chamber. And and and, and there is a level of indifference to this and, and, and sort of like disinterest, you know, and I think that that could change, though. If you ask me something that, that really gets me concerned, if this war continues, if we begin to see a lot of policy and, and political implications, you know, in Washington, uh, that could change. Um, and, and, and those people who aren't really paying attention to this could begin to pay attention to this if, for instance, OPEC retaliates with some, you know, rise in oil prices or the Sheikh of Qatar, as he's threatened, you know, cuts off global gas supply, you know. So, so um, I guess what I'm trying to say is for the moment, I actually think that the vast narrative and the vast sort of the, the loud messaging out there, most folks aren't paying attention to it. Like they're, they're just, this is not part of their reality. You know, it's very easy to sort of like target, you know, a lot of black groups and say, well, the Black Lives Matter folks are, are attacking Israel and, and, and aligning themselves with Palestine. But I bet like most black people in America aren't really thinking about this. They're just thinking about like, you know, doing their jobs and, and taking care of their kids like most people in America. I think what we should be worried about is when that changes. Wow. Thank you so much, David, and every one of you who are listening to this and sending all your questions. I, David, I am, I'm just, I, I'm sure you would like to see so many messages of support of people sending us that they feel seen, that they feel heard. Thank you so much. Um, it, it means a lot to us that you you take the time to speak and 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 write and share what a lot of us are feeling. And and I know that I've been feeling a lot of isolation and I'm going to take in a lot of your advice of saying I don't need to be in these spaces and I need to create my own space. And I need to create my own table where I can sit at when feel safe. So we really appreciate you and all of your writings. And I hope that your children are are blossoming and having an amazing time, knowing that they have such amazing parents um, to bring yeah. so much positive leadership in their lives. David, mm -hmm. we deeply appreciate you and your time. And we are continuing to follow your work. Make sure everybody here follows all of, of the writings that uh, David Kaufman has brought upon us because they are readings that really make us feel seen, heard, and and validated. So, David, thank yeah. you so much. I hope you have an amazing, amazing week. Take care. Thank you. Thank you. It's been my pleasure, my honor. Thank you. Thank you.